Okay, I want to welcome um, everyone. We're going to begin this week's shir for Parshas Vayechi, which is the final sedra of Sefer Barashas. We stand in unison in each and every shul this Shabbos, and we proclaim, we call out, Chazak, Chazak, Venis Chazek, that it is a call uh, to each and every Yid in general as part of the Klal, and each individual to strengthen himself and rejuvenate and revive and flourish and, uh, flourish and everything should... Uh, for the a, a, the accomplishment of the past, and then of course for the future, uh, for for the future of everything that we want to do, we begin Parsha Sefer Shemos Shabbos by Mincha, uh, and it's already it, it flew by. The Arizal said that that the reason that Voracious looks like a storybook. In other words, when you take a look at at Voracious, it looks like an interesting book. Yeah. Says the Arizal that of the five Chumashim, Chamisha Chum Torah, Voracious is the highest. And the reason it was put into storybook like a, telling a, a, one story after the other, or the Menchava and then Noyach, was because it was so high that if it would have been written just as it actually is, without a little bit dramatization and without a little bit story to it, no one would understand what's happening. So says... The Ariza. So we're concluding, and it says that Yaakov Avinu Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Uh, I mentioned, I think, in a previous year, that all the Chelke Kedusha so much fell into Mitzrayim, and that was the reason that Klal Yisrael had to go to Mitzrayim. That's the reason Yosef became a viceroy in Mitzrayim, the famine and the food and everything else to it, because that was the place of the Chelke Kedusha. And Yosef picked up and revived 202 of those Chelke Kedusha, and Yaakov Avinu came to conclude the last 86 that Yosef couldn't muster the support to be able to spiritually ride, they were very big chunks, so to speak. I'm saying it in very mundane terms to be able to just understand. But Yaakov Avinu, and he said it, and then Al Pikabola, when we learned that Pasuk, Old Lee, Rav Lee, Old Yosef Chai, that the Rav is Bidamatria 202, which is the amount of the Chalke Kedusha that Yosef brought to life. And the last 86, uh, and he said that, I see that he revived that, but he didn't finish the job, so I'm going down to to, uh, to Mitzrayim to finish off the job. And when it starts, the Parsha begins, Vayechi Yaakov, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. So the Swarim say that he brought to life 
I mean, the simple Pasuk means, and he lived in Eretz Mitzrayim 17 years. That was the total amount he came. He was 130, and he was Nifter at 147, and they brought him after 70 days of the Avelis back to Eretz Yisrael, and of course, he's buried in, in Hebron. So Yaakov Avinu brought to life and lots of bracha, as I mentioned, that there were seven years of feast and there were seven years of famine. But when Yaakov Avinu got to Mitzrayim, that was the end of the second year, the second year of the famine, the seven plentiful years finished. And, and there was uh, the beginning of the last two years of uh, the first two years of the famine, and then the bracha came, and there was no more famine. But when Yaakov Avinu's body was taken out of Mitzrayim to be buried in Hebron, the last five years returned to be experienced by the people of famine. So there were a total of seven years. But what I want to say to you is that I'm jumping for a minute to the end of the Sedra, that the Pusik says, Gam yuldu al The great-grandchildren of Yosef, the Sedra ends, uh, it says that his great-grandchildren grew up, they were on his lap, Birke Yosef, on the knees of Yosef. And the the Targum Yoinison Ben Uziel says Kadgazrinin Yosef that Yosef was the Sandik of his great grandchildren. That's how he touches it. When it says it says not just telling us that they were sitting on his lap. It means to tell us that he was the Sandik by their bris. And that's the first place in the Torah that Sandekoos is mentioned. We know that Sandekoos is a tremendous chos. As a matter of fact, there are people in different communities. There are people in different communities who pay thousands of dollars. Sometimes you have a couple that's poor and they can't afford the seven, eight hundred dollars for the moil and to make a suga. Somebody says, I'll pay for everything, but make me the Sandik. Because Sandikos has a tremendous chos to it. But there is in the Rishonim a very big discussion about whether or not you are allowed to be a Sandik twice in one family. And as a matter of fact, around 250 years ago, there was a world-famous Poisek called the Noide Yehuda, And the Noide Yehuda was sent a letter by someone asking that I was the Sandik for a nephew, and now that niece had again 
another boy and she wants me to be the Sandak a second time. And I want to know if I'm allowed to be. What does the question stem from? It stems from the fact that it says that Santa Koos is a Sagula for Ashiris to get very rich. Because it's like a person being Makhter Ketoris. And you know in the Mishkan and the Besa Megdush there was incense. And it was a very, very big thing and a holy thing. It was the Mizbeach Hazov. There were three in the actual Kodesh Kedoshim was only the Aram. But in the actual Kodesh, outside of the Kodesh Kedoshim, there were three things the Menorah, the Shulchan, and the Mizbeach HaKetoris. That's not the Mizbeach HaNachoshis that was in the Azara, the place that when you go to Eretzra, you see that there's a silver dome. That is the Mokom. HaMizbeach, the Mizbeach HaNachoshes, where they brought the Korbanos, where Avram Avinu took Yitzchok and bound him, because that was the Mokom HaMizbeach. But inside, there's the, the Mizbeach HaKetores, the, the uh, place where they brought the incense every day, and it says that the Koyen Gogol used to be Mechabed, a Koyen, to bring the Ketores. And he never was mechabed the same koyen twice. He was never mechabed the same koyen twice. Why? So the Gomorrah Yuma says because the koyen who brought the ketores became rich. And to give somebody else a chance to become rich. He always was mechabed somebody else. So there was a different coin every day who brought the Ketoris. So the Shiloh to the Noidebi Yehuda was that since being a Sandik is like your Maktir the Ketoris, and it's a Segula for Ashiris, and they never gave the same, am I allowed to be a Sandik? In the in my nephew a second time. Uh, everyone agrees that to be a sandik a hundred times you're allowed to be. You're allowed to be, but not the same, but not the same family. That was the question. So the Noidib Yehuda wrote him back that I don't get into these esoteric. You know, if it's not a shaila mentioned in the Gemara, I don't get involved in it, and then he proceeds to write a three-page tshuva. <laughs> a three-page tshuva after saying that, that the person who's a sandik, he's like being mocked of the Ketoris. He's like the Koyen Gogol, and really the Koyen Gogol himself could have done it every day. It was his choice. That means he could have preempted any other Koyen, because it was his avoida. He was just mechabed the others to come in and do it. So, and we see many Rabbonim and Rosh Yeshivas and Rebbe, that they do it many times in a family. So that's what he wrote. And the Hassan Sofer wrote a blistering answer, because they lived at the same time in a letter, to the Noidebi Yehuda, that how could you say it, that it's only because of the fact that he had a din of Kohen Gadol, but, but that by the Santa Coast, really, you shouldn't do it. So today, nobody, I had a, a shyness. somebody was mechabed me with Sandakos, and 
he came back to me and had a second boy, and then he had a third boy. So for the second boy, he wanted me to do it again because his father, and this was a very wonderful boy, wonderful boy, but his father, after he divorced his mother, married a shiksim. And the father said, you know, Rabbi Balkany was your Masada Kedushin, so if you want him to do it ten times, no problem. But if not him, then I'm the one that should be the Sandik. And he didn't want, because when you're Sandik, your mom Shech Kedusha to the child and everything. And of course, anyone who's a Sandik, I never heard of a Sandik not going to the mikvah before he's a Sandik. I mean, that's a real big thing, being a Sandik. So he came to me and said, I understand that you're not supposed to be a Sandik in one family more than once. So I was, um, that night, I said, I'll answer you tomorrow. I have to think it over. That night I was at a chasna, and I was, I mean, taking up the time of this year, but that's an important thing. Um, I was at a chasna, and I was sitting next to Rav Simcha Bunim Ehrenfeld, who was the Matistafer Rav. And the Rav Bunim were at one table, and I was seated right next to him, and I told him over, I said, today a younger man came to me that I was already Sandik, and, and Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid, who everyone was so afraid of. In other words, he lived 900 years ago, but today, two brothers not to marry two sisters. You ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. Two brothers with two sisters. That comes from Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid. He was at the time of the... He was at the time of the... He was at the time of the Balei Toysus, and they were so afraid of him, the Balei Toysus, his friends, that they said that he had the koyach, like the tanoim, to go into a cemetery and tell everyone to get out of the graves. That's how big he was. And the Kotzker Rebbe once said that he wished that Rabbi Yehuda HaChosid would, would have put into his tzavah the Aseris Hadibris, the Ten Commandments, the Aseris Hadibris, because he, people were more afraid of his tzava than the Anochi Hashem Elokecha in the Torah that's in Parshish Yisro. So he wished that he would have put that in, they would have been for low signal and for everything else, more afraid to do it because it would have been in his tzava. He had things like, for instance, you're not allowed, and it was all Pikabola. Uh, to shech geese in the month of Sh- of Shvat, not not to, it was Alpikabal, It was secrets. It was a, you're not allowed to shine your shoes the day that you travel. You're not allowed to close when you revamp a house, refurbish. If you, there's a window, you've got to leave an opening for the shade to go out. I mean, he had a very in. He had a very interesting uh, tzavo. So anyway, and he said that they should never allow someone to be a sandik twice, twice in one in the same family. And there's going to be a sandik. Everyone agrees a hundred times, but not in the same family. So, uh, and that was really the end of Rabbanim. Today, we'll tell you. 
But in that case, Rav Simcha Bun, Zechrona Levrocha, he said to me, Rabbi Volkany, I guarantee you that Rabbi Yehuda HaChosset himself, if you would be asking him, should you be the Sandek and the choice is you or the father who's married to a Shiksa, I guarantee you that he would tell you to be the Sandek. So I was the Sandik by the second and by the third son. <laughs> so uh, and anyway, we're, we're coming. So the Indian of Sandikos, I just mentioned you the whole story, is because at the end of our Sedra, that is the first word of Yonison ben Uziel says, the Targum Yonison ben Uziel says that this is the first place in the Torah that the Indian of Sandikos is mentioned when it talks about the great-grandchildren of Yosef, and that indeed Yosef was their son in, in all of those cases. Now, there is a bracha that Yaakov Avinu said, V'yidgu larov b'kerev ha'oritz. It's a famous pasuk. Many people, we say, Hamal ha'go elosi, before we go to sleep, and that's the end of that paragraph. And you should be uh, prolific. You should be multiply like the dogim, the care of horrors that are here in the world. Fish have, and why the Mephorshim asked, why did he compare Klal Yisrael to fish? Um, fish are in the water. And anything in the water, there's no ayin hara, and there's no klala. That's why by the mabel, the whole world was destroyed from top to bottom, but not the fish. Anything in the water was not affected. And that is the reason why we on Shabbos, every suda, that means even a person by Shalash Shudas in most shuls, they won't have salmon, but they'll have herring. They'll have some type of fish. And pseudos of Klal Yisrael, traditionally for the last 3,500 years, Friday night there's fish served, Shabbos morning there's fish served, because it says that the neshamas of tzaddikim, since there's no ayin hara on a fish, and that's the reason that there was no name given to the fish. When Adam Arishan, the animals passed by, he saw in their through his Ruach HaKodesh the Shoirish of their Neshamas, and the name reflected that inner essence of what they were and how they were. And he gave everything a name, everything, but not fish. That's why, I mean, we have a name for different types of fish. But there's no Hebrew names. There's no source from creation in the Sheshis Yemeberashis of any name given to any of the fish. Because they're really above this world in a certain sense that they are above any type of Ayin Hara. And that's why the Cheskuni, when he discusses this, um, he brings out this point. And the Chidot says... Uh, that ayin is begematria 120, and ayin hara, that's a, it's a, the, each, each one, and dogim, that viyidgula rov, that there's also a gematria that is directly opposite, which is fish. Uh, because when, when we deal with fish, 
that there is no ayin hara, and that's why we incorporate it into our sudas and Shabbos. Because of the bracha that the that the three things that it said bracha by by man, by Shabbos and by the fish in creation, so man on Shabbos have the fish, and it says that when tzaddikim ate the fish, they were able to be mala all the neshamas that were inside of the fish. That's why fish plays such an important part in the menu of Klal uh, Yisrael. Now, we know that that when Yaakov Avinu gave the bracha to Menashe and Ephraim, he crossed his hands. Sikel es yodov. He crossed his hands. So the, many Mephorshim asked the simple question, why didn't he just move the two boys? Why did he have to cross over his hands? So one Teretz, the Cheskuni, says that he asked that question also, and he didn't want Menashe to feel bad, worse than he felt. In other words, he gave the main bracha to Ephraim. Ephraim was the younger one, and Menashe was the older one. But... And he saw, and he knew what he was doing, because Yosef said to him, Tata, what are you doing? Menashe is the Bechor, Sim Yemincha, Al Rosho, put your hand, look at the Pasuk in the, in the Torah, put your right hand on his head. So he said, Yodati Bini Yodati, I'm well aware, and he will also be big and grow to be very great but he will not be as great as Menashe. So I know what I'm doing by putting my hands like that. So says the Cheskuni, he didn't want Menashe, when he heard he was getting less of a bracha, to feel even worse by having physically moving him, it would have brought out more like bad feeling. The Ksav Soifer says that by the fact that he didn't move them, it lessened, he didn't even realize, because he was looking down. When you look down at the children, it's not like you're staring at one versus the other. The Sofer says it like almost completely eliminated the realization of what was happening by the fact that he didn't move them and he was looking down at them. We know that he was in bed, and it says that they came and told Yosef, Hine avicha choyla, your father is sick. So Yosef said, he's sick? I'm going to run, I'm going to take my kids, who knows if he'll... And indeed he passed away, he was nifter. So the Mepharsha are very cu- curious. How could it be that he didn't know that the father was sick? He was 22 years away from his father. His father came down for 17 years to Mitzrayim. And he lived in Mitzrayim for the 17 years. He was sick for a while. And as a matter of fact, before Yaakov Avinu, people never got sick. The Medrash says that they, they had to die. They just dropped. They dropped. They, they either in their bed or uh, they died. Yaakov Avinu offered a tefillah 
that people should know before they die that they're dying. Let's say a person gets sick. They start thinking that, you know, it's a serious. Who knows if I'm going to live through it gives them a chance to do tshuva. Because tshuva is something that no matter how, you know, somebody came to me today who never fell in with some terrible averis. And today he came to me in shul and he said, I want to ask you, what's the difference of slicha, mechila, kapara? So I said to him, that there's a mazid the person could do intentionally Avera, and most of the time that's how we do it. And then when a person starts to do tshuva, the Gemara says if it's tshuva out of yira, out of fear, then the actual Avera is transformed and becomes a unintentional. In other words, it goes up a level from intentional to unintentional, which is mezid or shogeg. And that's the Bechin of Yom Kippur, by the way. But Sukkis is simcha, and the Gemara says, but if he goes a step further, and he does tshuva out of pure love for our Kodesh Baruch Hu, then he is able to elevate the Avera to a level of mitzvah. And that's the reason that Rav Baruch Mimezhebush, the anacle of the Baal Shem Tov, said that we go on Rosh Hashanah to Tashlach and we throw our Averas into the water. But after Sukkot, Every matzah bakery goes back to the water, to a lake, to the river, wherever, and they draw out water. I don't know if you know it, but there's a thing called Mayim Shalanu. And they draw water from a river, and they incorporate it. They bake the matzahs for Pesach with that water. So says Rebarach, if we went Rosh Hashanah, and we threw all our Averis into the water, what do we want to go back and take that water and put it into our matzahs that we are makayim a mitzvah say diaraisa? So says Rebarach Mimezhebush, because after Sukkot we do tshuva out of love and happiness, out of simcha. So those bushel baskets of Averis that we threw into the water are now mitzvahs. So we go back to the water, we draw out the mitzvahs to put them into our, our matzah. But the question is, how could it be that, ya- that Yosef didn't visit his father? And frankly, the Meforshim say, like such a, a startling... Um, answer. And they say that the reason that Yosef hardly went and saw his father the 17 years he was in Mitzrayim was because he didn't want his father to sit him down and ask him, okay, now I want to hear exactly what your brothers did to you. Unfortunately, say this. So 
and he was afraid, he wouldn't lie to him, but he didn't want to be mitzire him, how they took his kesonus and dipped it into blood, and Rebbe Chonan Wasserman, Zecher Tzadik Rekodesh who was killed during the, he was, he was here in America, but he knew what the Nazis were doing, and he went back to die with his flock. He went back to die. In other words, he could have stayed here and lived. But he said, I must go back. And he, had, he danced with them while they were, right before they were shot or killed or whatever they did to them, he Thrown danced. Out the window. I'm sorry? Thrown out the window of the yeshiva. So they 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 danced together. He sang Animamen with them. And then the, there were those that, uh, some survived in that area that saw it and were able to to tell over what happened. So he once asked, how is it possible that throughout the generations, the blood libel, which took place in so many towns throughout the last 2,000 years, they said before Pesach that the Jews take a, a goyish, a child, uh, and kill the child, and they take the blood to bake the matzahs, but everyone knows that Jews can't have any blood. We, when, when, with the meat, we have to salt the meat to get every drop of blood out. We don't eat. It's an issue of rice of taste. But, you know, that there's a... And it's so disgusting and, like, obnoxious to a Jew, the blood, to say that that is how such a crazy concept. How could they pin that on the Jews? So Rebbe Chanan Zephron said... The reason it was effective, the libel, was because of the story of they took the tunic and they dipped it into the blood to fool Yaakov Avinu, so it remained as an attack item for the Goyim against the Yidin. So said Rebbe Chonan Vassarman. And he said, and as a matter of fact, people think, yeah, it was 500 years ago. Upstate New York in 1928, which is like 90 years ago, so it wasn't yesterday, but there was, uh, they were ready to hang groups of Jews up. They said it's Passover, and you see those matzahs? That's from our kids' blood. So it was alive and well, the blood libel, because they fooled uh, Yaakov Avinu with it. And Yosef realized that Tsar that his father lived through, he didn't want to put him another, through another day. And he was positive that he was going to ask him this question, so he didn't want to, and he avoided it completely. Now... The, the Pasuk says that after Yaakov Avinu saw, last week said, just saw Yosef, he said, that now I, I can die. Pasuk says it. That's what he said. After I've seen you, I live to see you, I'm, I'm fine. The Mephorshim say something that really, uh, I didn't, I, I, maybe I shouldn't even be, I should be sharing this. 
because it's a little bit painful. But Yaakov Avinu made Yosef swear, swear that he was going to take him up and not bury him in Mitzrayim. So the first asked, why did he have to swear? And why did he have to swear? So Yosef answered him, Anochi, he swore, and he said, Anochi varecha. I'm going to do what you're asking me. So the The Mephorshim say on this, we say in benching, lowly day matnas basar v'dom, that we shouldn't have to repunish them, we shouldn't have to come on to people to help us, to give us money. Uh, so they ask, why does it say lowly day matnas basar v'dom? Why not adam? Why not the word adabri, matnas basar vadam? It's like a very mundane. What we mean is we shouldn't have to come out to people. So why doesn't it just say lowly day matnas adam? We shouldn't have to come out to any man's gifts or, or anything. Why do we say lowly day matnas the gifts of basar vadam, the flesh and the blood, meaning people? It just should say the word Adam. So the Mephorshim say because people, the, the DNA of a human being is that we don't want to have to come on to another person. And unfortunately, not in every case, I mean, you have people like Judy and Esther who took care of parents with every drop of blood, with every, every, uh, our birthday girl with uh, Frida, you know, with their last everything that they could do. But unfortunately in the world, that's not the case. You see that they're putting the parents into the nursing homes. You know, and I'm not talking about a nursing home where there's a medical problem that, let's say, a child can't take care of, that, that puts the life of the parent into a sarcona. But I'm talking about the, just the, they're, so they're overwhelmed. They want to go on with their daily activity. They want to have to be worrying at 7 in the morning, at 9 in the morning, and at 12 at night. They don't want to have to be under that kind of a pressure. And, and they, they delegate it, uh, you know, to a nursing home to be able... Uh, is anyone warm in here? Yeah. All right, we'll see. It's on 72, so it's pretty uh, high. So... Um, so the Mephorshim say that Yaakov Avinu realized that one mother or one father can take care of ten children, but ten children, in many cases, will not take care of one father or one mother. And he didn't want to be in such a position. The Mephorshim say it. 
that that's why he said Amusa Hapam, because I came down to Mitzrayim, we need food over here, my son is the Viceroy, I don't want to have to be in a position that I have to come on to my children. Otherwise, what does it mean, Amusa Hapam? I can die now. I mean, why? Just because you saw Yosef now, so you can die? I mean, you came down with a mission, but they say that that was why he made him swear. I mean, why didn't he just ask him, take me out of Mitzrayim, I don't want to be... I thought it was because Pharaoh wouldn't let him, but only because he said, I promised my father, oh, you promised? If you keep that, if I'm not going to keep my word to my father, I won't keep my word to you, and I'll say that is, to me. You it, don't know me. It either. is true what you are saying. And the Medrus says that. But over here, Yaakov Avinu, the Mepharshim, say that this was his concern. And he didn't want to be put into that position. And that's the reason that it says Matnas Basar Vadam, and it doesn't say Adam like it should have said, because it meant any man to come on to anyone. That unfortunately, you know, sometimes somebody does someone a very big favor. <laughs> And the person comes and says, you know, you did, I really appreciate what you did, I want to do this for you. And the person says, no, 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 has shown there were no strings attached, I don't want to. It's wrong. Because a person who feels that a favor was done for him, he still has a thread of attachment in his mind that he was dependent on that person for the favor. And if he doesn't let him do a favor back, then he's leaving him with that feeling of an obligation, even though nothing is ever said, another, but in his own mind that the person... But once he does something for the other person, he then is relieved of that mental responsibility and obligation, and he's able to feel much more free. He's been free. He did for me, and I bought him a box of chocolate, you know. So I did something back also, yes. I, I thought of person, uh, I know we have stories from my family like that, my You're supposed to ask a child to do keep it out of the name for you. Sometimes they visit, I had a grandfather, great-grandfather, when his son went, came very far away, oh, take off my goose me. He did it on purpose because he never had a chance to have something to do. And they did it lovingly. They wanted to show Right. Well, I'm going to maybe answer you with this next part because it says, V'asisa imodi chesed ve'emes, Yaakov said to Yosef, and Rashi says chesed shall emes. And Rashi's statement is that when, it, when he said, hine avicha choyla, that that I mean chesed ve'emes, that it's a chesed shall shalom, that the tashlum schar, that the actual reward, because a dead person can't do anything back for you. So therefore, if you're doing something for the, a lot of people are part of a chaver kedisha, and uh, they are invited because. It's a pure favor. It's without getting any response, without getting anything back. Yet it says that Yaakov Avinu, the Medrash says, 
said to Yosef that if you do this, I'm giving you the city of Shem that you're going to be buried. And Yosef is buried in the city of Shem. So we see it wasn't Chesed Shel Eves because there was a return for the fact that bury me in Eretzrael and I'm going to reciprocate and I'm going to give you the city of Shem that you will be buried uh, there. So the the what it means is that the dead person never feels indebted. In other words, once the person is nifter and he's buried Altaris Arkodesh, so it's that that package on his shoulders that he carries when someone does him a favor, a person who's dead does not have that obligation. In other words, we're, I'm saying it the opposite of what, what you're saying, that when a person does something for someone else and he allows the other person to do something back, he's doing him a very big favor. And the Mephoshim say this, because it relieves him of that mental obligation back that he always carries around. Well, I never ever, you know, I know there was a family here that took in someone uh, that got off the boat after the war, and he was a Yasa, he was like eight years old, and when he got older, um, he got married, they married him off, it was like a son to them. And then there came a point that he never went back to visit them. Which was terrible, which was terrible, terrible. But the, the people explained because they never dealt with that feeling of getting rid of, I had, my life was secured by your benevolence. You took me in and you did for me. So it was like a, a ton of bricks on the person's head. Now this person was not conditioned in Hakoras HaTov, or he would have been every day calling, how are you? I mean, it was like his parents, it wasn't his physical, his, his regular parents, but he he would have been calling and he would have been responding uh, to a parent with that. But it just shows that when we teach children, we have to be sensitive to every child growing up to sensitize them to the people around them of how much they owe to them and they're not their enemies that deep down well you know I can get out I'm not to, I'm not obligated to anybody and I don't owe anyone this and that but the the opposite to be able to bring out in them that there is an everlasting Hakaris Atov which comes forth and which should always be existing now we find in the brachas, in the brachas that Yaakov Avinu gave out, he said to Ruvain, you know, Ruvain, you were supposed to be the Bechor, which he lost and it went to Yosef's two children, it was split, even though he was the oldest. He was supposed to be the Melech. And he was not allowed, it went to Yehuda. Why did he lose it? 
So Rashi tells us, and that's why I have the Chumash open right here. Rashi tells us that what did actually Yaakov Avinu said to him? That you hastily, pachas kamayim altosar, that you very hastily responded to a situation for your mother's COVID. In other words, your intention was good, but you reacted too hastily. And a king cannot survive successfully with people with his melucha. He cannot survive in a melucha when he does things which are hastily. And it's a very big lesson to each and every one of us in our decision-making process, that we cannot be yidden, cannot be hasty. And Yaakov Avinu went on to Shimon and Levi because it should have been passed on to Shimon and Levi. And he said, because you went and you killed out Shem and you took weaponry, I guess they used swords or whatever they used to kill the people, that you introduced into the Jewish people weaponry, that's not the Midah, Rashi says this, that's not the Midah of Klal Yisrael to be involved in that. As Yaakov Avinu says, how did I succeed in my life? With my sword and with my bow and arrow, says Rashi, with my tefillah. He doesn't mean a physical bow and arrow or a sword. So it passed the Malchus, went from Ruvain down to Shimon and Levi, and they all three were passed, and it came to Yehuda. Now, why in the world would it have landed by Yehuda? So the Gemara says, and the Targum Yonasmino zeal, and others, the fact that Yehuda admitted by the story of Tamar, imagine in front of Yehuda was like the Gogolador, the, the chief Rosh Yeshiva that Yaakov Avinu sent down before they got to Mitzrayim to open the Yeshiva, didn't send Ruvain or Shimon who became the Soifrim and the Malamitinoikis to open the yeshiva, he sent Yehuda, Ves Yehuda, Shalach Lefonov, Lahorus Vahem Goishna, to be able to establish the yeshiva. And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky always used to say, Why was Yehuda chosen to open the yeshiva? Because to begin a yeshiva, Dafkin Hobbin Malchus, you need regal royalty. You need majesty in dealing with a yeshiva in the hasoga, like a king deals with his subjects. That's how a rosh yeshiva has to deal with the children and the talmidim of the yeshiva. But Yehuda was in the rosh yeshiva and the godlador, and and. In front of everyone, and Tamar was ready to give her life, and said, "I'm not going to say that he is the one that I was with, 
because I'm not going to embarrass him in front of her. And she was knew she was pregnant with two children, with twins, and she was ready to sacrifice three lives, her own and the two children, not to embarrass Yehuda. And Yehuda jumped up in front of the 10,000 people who were there watching and said, uh-uh, don't touch her. Sodka me many, I am the one. And she lived on and she gave birth to the one that Mashiach will be a ancestor of. But why? And because of that, in front of so many people, and what would somebody else have done? They would say, what, I'm going to go ruin my reputation, I'm ruin my whole life, and, and admit that I'm the one. I'm not going to do it. I mean, okay, she's being killed, I'll do tshuva, I'll do this, I'll not. He said, uh-uh. I'm going to immediately jump up and admit that it's me. And Yaakov Avinu said, because of that admission in front of the whole world, what you did, I am going to give you the bracha of Malchus Leolam Voed. And that's why he had kingdom and Mashiach come from him. I, yes, Esther. Um, didn't Yosef give Menashe and Ephraim to learn with, with Yaakov? He had them, I mean, he, he learned with them. Yes. So he knew what was happening with his father. No. He never, the Pasuk says they came and told him, the Shliach came and said, you should know your father's deathly sick. So he never saw his, his children for 17 years? His children, but he didn't, he saw, but he, he himself, Yosef, he didn't. When he went down to when Yosef went down to visit his father, he always had somebody there with him, so that his father could not broach that subject. No, he didn't visit him. That was what was. Yeah, what I was, think Menashe was. Uh, he may I'm not talking about Menashe and Ephraim. Ephraim. I'm not Menashe. I'm not talking about Menashe or Ephraim. I'm talking about Yosef. The know, question is that he was asked. He was told, suddenly said, oh, my father's sick? He grabbed his two sons and he went over to Yaakov Avinu. So that was the question of the Mephorshim. What happened for 17 years? He didn't visit him on a regular basis? <laughs> what do you mean? So, so explain, explain, explain to me then. What does it mean, Hine Avicha Chola? It's a Pasuk. The Pasuk says they came into Yosef and they said, you should know, your father is very sick. And he jumped up and he said, he grabbed his two sons and he went to his father. What do you mean? He didn't know a week before that he was sick? He didn't know a, a month before? No, he was. It says that he was mispelled, that people, he was the first sick one. He got sick, and he was the first one because he didn't want people to die suddenly. He wanted them to have a warning before they died that they were not well and that possibly they will die, and gave them a chance to do children. He must have a lot of sorrow to know that Yosef did not visit him. It must have been a terrible sorrow for him. But the, the answer that they say is because he was afraid that he was going to ask him, what did your brothers do to you? Tell me the story now. 
The Mephorshim said that this is not my, uh, some sermonic... Uh, I heard that he did visit his father, but always with somebody else, so that Yaakov could not broach that subject. No. I think mean, yeah, everywhere Yosef went, he had attendance. He was the viceroy, he had butlers, he had... The, but it says that Yosef was afraid that he would be asked that child. Anyway, we have to, we learn from Yehuda that he began and got the bracha of Malchus, that we must sensitize ourselves to others, and we sometimes cannot sweep under the carpet guilt or a mistake or something that was done wrong or something we said instead of kicking in the rationalization and, oh, no, no, I did it only because of this, and I thought this, and I meant that, when the truth, bottom line, is that the person just wanted to undermine the other person because they have some score to settle with them that a year before at a party, sitting at the table, she said something I didn't like, and now was my chance legally because I'm doing it for this reason and for that reason to be able to counter attack so to speak the person with a year later yeah that's why I always say to you we have to divest ourselves of all the hang-ups and all the and many times it's correct it's correct and and the person is absolutely right but the baggage to bear for such a long time, a lifetime, it just doesn't pay. Because life is so short, and why have as a pile of tinas to this one, to that one, you know, what are we gaining? And we are just carrying, we're carrying a, a, a level of, of, uh, of pressure on ourselves because of that. Anyway, I thank you very much. I'm going to go out of the room and please celebrate uh, tonight, the, the birthday, and uh, Sarah, there's a... No, you're welcome, Deepa. What happens when you have anger and you can't get it out? Anger? Yeah, you know, you have resentment towards someone. They did do something. They embarrassed you, whatever. Well, that's really, I'm just about to say it in the Helen said that's really what therapists do. They work you through the process of getting it out of your system. Hundreds of dollars worth of process. Sometimes it's very well worth it. But I want you to know that there is such a... Um, there are many... There are some people who are able to work it through their system to be able to rise above and to go on. You know, and it's not easy. I'm not making it easy because there are people right here in this room who have memories of incidents that happened to them that the bitterness and the anger may not be actively expressed each and every day, but the topic always comes back. It's underlined. You know, it always comes back in a conversation or in a this or a that, and they're carrying with them the baggage. And I'm not saying the, the cases I'm referring to, the people are right. Not, you know, like a person who's wrong, you can come to someone and you can say, listen, 
Why don't you just be honest with yourself? It is something that you did that you shouldn't have. And, and, accept, and, and accept it that you can try to walk them through. But I'm referring to cases that are absolute people are 100% right. 100% right. And they should just let it go and move on with life. We'll drink to that. Okay, two sides to the store. Oh,